Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is truly a joy to be here with you. I mean that with all my heart. If this is your very, very first time joining us at, at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, down in our Seymour campus, if you're joining us uh, on our online campus or here at Greenwood or one of our microsites, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests today? We work really, really hard to make this a place where first-time guests, first-time people will enjoy themselves and be blessed. The reason uh, that someone invited you is because they really believe that uh, you will be blessed by what's going on in and through Emmanuel Church. And so welcome. If you're not brand new, welcome back. You know that we're in a series right now called Conversations. This one has been a lot of fun, has it not? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, uh, but it's been helpful. You know, conversations, we have them all the time. A lot of us like to talk. I like to talk. Anybody else? I like to talk about stuff that's fun, exciting, sports, like, you know, maybe the, you know, the basketball tournament that's going on right now, March Madness, a lot to talk about. Uh, I like to talk to my friends about all kinds of stuff that I enjoy. Uh, and, then, and then there are other conversations that uh, I have that are maintenance conversations. I have a lot of these with my wife. You know, who needs to be where and what bill needs to be paid. Last week, our garage door stopped working. So who's calling the garage door company? How much does it cost? And anybody else have a family, kids? You know, a lot of conversations. Conversations are maintenance conversations. You have these conversations at work with co with coworkers, with bosses. A lot of times, we're just talking about stuff that needs to get done. And then there's these other conversations that are I don't know. I bet you you could label them as uncomfortable conversations because the content is difficult. In other words, there's a high potential that when you talk about some things, you're going to offend somebody. You're going to have a different opinion about something. Uh, with a friend or even a spouse or a coworker or a boss. Or, and so we tend to avoid these conversations because uh, if you have them, uh, you might potentially hurt the relationship. You could get yourself labeled or put in a corner. Uh, and in our world today, you could even uh, get canceled. You know, a friend could just, you know, block you or unlike, you know, what, what people do on Facebook or whatever they, unlike you or whatever they do. Uh, and, and so because of that, we avoid conversations. And in church, that happens a lot too. A lot of pastors will avoid certain topics and certain conversations because if you talk about it in church, you know there's going to be people that are going to be offended or hurt. Maybe they'll leave the church. Uh, and, and, and so we just avoid that. The problem with avoiding difficult conversations or uncomfortable conversations is that there is always unintended consequences. Always. This is like true in, when you're parenting. When you don't talk to your kids about hard things, there's unintended consequences. My, how many times have you heard this? My mom and dad never talked to me about that. And so I was kind of left on my own to decide this or that about sexuality or this or that because we never had the hard conversations. And so as your pastor, I love you too much to, to let these things go un, unspoken. 
Because people can be confused if we don't talk about it. People can be misled or misinformed if we don't talk about it. They can miss what God's word has to say about some very critical issues. And then, because of that, people can, in fact, go down the wrong path with their life because the pastor never talked about it before. And they didn't know. They just went with whatever everyone else was doing. And so I love you too much to do that. And so I want to have these conversations because I really do believe that God has called me to help you find his will for your life. And so we've been having these conversations. Week number one, we talked about same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Last week, we talked about transgenderism. That was a lot of fun. First time I've ever done a talk like that in my whole life. Uh, And so today, we're going to talk about a third difficult conversation. Before I do that, I want to kind of set the stage one more time and talk about the culture that we live in today. Like, what's the mindset? Here's the mindset in our culture today. You do you. You live out your truth as if there were seven and a half billion different truths out there, right? You do what's right in your own eyes. That is the way our culture, that's what friends tell friends today. Middle school students tell each other that. High school students tell each other that. Adults tell each other that. You got to do you. You got to live out your truth. Well, here's the problem with that. What if you are messed up? That is terrible advice to tell someone, hey, you do you. you what, hey, what if the truth that you think you found is not true? And you're telling people to do their truth. Like, uh, do you know the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Just one example. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't do you. Look to him. In fact, do not depend on your own understanding. Don't look within yourself to discover what the right plan is for your life and your sexuality and your gender and all these different things. Look to him. Seek his will in all that you do, and then he will show you which path to take. That's the world, that's the situation that we live in today. We've been looking within to try to discover the path that we should take with our life. And the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose the created thing over the creator and it messed us all up. Do you know that the mess that you have inside of your heart today and your soul today is due to the sin in the Garden of Eden? And that's why it's bad advice to tell people, hey, you do you, you look within and you discover your own truth. Because we're all fractured on the inside. We're all like a car that's out of alignment. You ever drive a car that's out of alignment? It just always pulls to the left. We are, our souls always pull towards sin. And so instead of looking within, we want to look up to the author to figure out some of these questions that we're having or some of the issues that we're having. So today I want to talk to you about a, a subject that I've never done a sermon on before in 17 years. That's incredible. I've mentioned it before in sermons Made a statement here, made a statement there, maybe a paragraph here, a paragraph there, but never an entire talk on it. I want to talk today about abortion. Abortion. And this topic is more difficult than the last two, I believe, because of its vastness. What do I mean by that? 73 million babies are aborted worldwide today, every single year. This, is, this touches so many more people than the same-sex situation, uh, attraction, and the transgender issue. This touches millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people. Every day, just in America, 1,700 babies are aborted in our country. And some, some people might think, well, why do we talk about this in church? Isn't this an issue that, 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 that non-religious people struggle with or secular people or atheists or agnostics? Or aren't those the people that have abortions? Oh, no, 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 no. Two-thirds of all the abortions 
are performed on women who are associated with Christianity. Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, non-denominational, Catholic. This is a church issue. This isn't a, oh, a them issue. It's hard to talk about this because of the vastness. It's also hard to talk about this because of the pain and the trauma. If this statistic is true, then there's a good portion of the audience today that's watching at all of our campuses and online here at Greenwood that has had an abortion. And I'm not a woman and I've never had an abortion, but I'm able to do the research and I'm able to look and study and figure out, like, what are some of the consequences of actually having an abortion as a woman and being a man connected to a woman who's had an abortion? And the one word that comes to mind, and this is what the research shows, is trauma. Trauma. Like a soldier that's been at war suffers when he comes home with trauma. There's one lady who's been studying this for years and years and years. Her name is Judith, uh, Judith Herman. She's now 80 years old. She is still a professor of clinical psychiatry at Harvard University Medical School. Okay? Just, so this lady's at the top of her game. She wrote a book called Trauma and Recovery. It's all about women who've had abortions. This is what she said. Dozens of studies, not one, dozens of studies tie abortion to a rise in sexual dysfunction, aversion to sex, loss of intimacy, unexpected guilt, extramarital affairs, traumatic stress syndrome, personality fragmentation, grief response, child abuse and neglect, and increase in alcohol and drug abuse. A lot of people on the pro-choice side make this argument. Well, this is a, a medical procedure, no different from a colonoscopy. Not true. No one suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome when they come out of a colonoscopy. Maybe some people do. Maybe some people do. <laughs> Not sure about the research on that. This is not a regular medical procedure as the pro-choice side wants to make you think. Oh, you just go in, it's just a procedure. Why the trauma? Why the damage? Why the pain? Some of you ladies right now are, are, are just, the, the, the pain and grief is, is inside right now. And, and I feel you. And I see you. And it's real. And that's why it's, I wish I didn't have to talk about this right now. Who wants to talk about something that brings back pain and guilt or shame or whatever. I don't. But we have to talk about it. Because it's a real issue in our country today. It's also hard to talk about this because, man, people get passionate about this issue. Ooh. I mean, you get... People want to fight over this. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to fight me after this. And I'm just, I'm being serious. People get super passionate about this issue. Another reason why it's really hard to talk about this is because it's horrific. The actual practice of abortion is nothing short of horrific. There's a, a gentleman named Warren, Warren Hearn who wrote a book called Abortion Practice. He's been practicing late-term abortions his whole life, and he wrote an entire book about it. He teaches other 
so-called doctors to perform abortions. This is what he told a group of doctors. I began an abortion on a young 17-year-old woman. Uh, I'm sorry, a young woman who was 17 weeks pregnant. I inserted the forceps and applied them to the head of the fetus, which was still alive. I closed the forceps, crushing the skull of the fetus, and withdrew the forceps. The fetus, now dead, slid out more or less intact. He was teaching them about how to exactly perform an abortion at 17 weeks. And that's like some of the clean stuff. I could show you photographs and pictures of late-term abortions and what they actually do and how they snip the spinal cord and they almost decapitate babies, but I'm not going to do that because I think you get the point. It is horrific. And so it's hard to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. We have to come to grips with what's happening in our country today. 1,700 babies a day. Listen, 3,000 people died in the World Trade Center bombing and it changed the world. We do that every other day in this country to our babies. Over 3,000 babies die every other day, every two days. And so we have to talk about this even though it's difficult. When we have this conversation, a lot of times, or I've had it with people one-on-one, the, the, the question pops up that, okay, is abortion right or wrong? And it's a, it's a fine question. It's a, it is the question we have to ask, but I don't think it's the right one to start with. I think there's actually a better question to begin with that if we answer the, the, this, the primary question, we'll be able to answer this question without, without even trying. What question is that, you might ask? When does human life begin? If we can establish when human life begins, then we can answer the question of, whether abortion is right or wrong fairly easily. Now, at this point in the, in the discussion, most pro-choice people will, you know, expect the pro-life person to grab the Bible and say, well, let me show you that, you know, the Bible says this and the Bible says that, and that's why life begins at conception, because the egg has a soul and yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm not going to do that Yet. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to the science because that's what the pro-choice people will accuse the pro-life people of not being scientific, unintelligent, not using your brains, and nothing can be further from the truth. So let's look at the science. I was at dinner the other night with a friend of mine. Uh, He comes to this church, Dr. Brian Perkins. Some of you may know Dr. Brian Perkins. He's been an OBGYN in this area for 34 years. He's delivered a lot of babies, started in 1988. He actually delivered our 16-year-old daughter. It's hard to believe. That was 16 years ago. Um, a phenomenal man, friend of mine, and he is now the lead physician at uh, Axia, Axia's Women uh, uh, and OBGYN uh, office here on the south side. And he, he slid this document over to me over a dinner the other night. It's actually a, a journal, medical journal. It's uh, Issues in Law and Medicine. It's something that his office receives, volume 36, number two, fall of 2021. He said, I want you to look at the last article in this medical journal. This is not a religious publication. This is a medical journal that doctors get, got doctors receive. So I turn to the, he turns to the back page and he begins to show me this study that was done, um, an international study done with 5,577 biologists across the world, not the United States, across the whole world, this study, gathered information and, and they were asking a series of questions about when these biologists 
thought that life began. Now, what's interesting is that most Americans will say that biologists have the right to determine when life begins, not pastors and not politicians. In fact, pastors were the lowest number. <laughs> it's like, dude, come on. It's like, we're, we're smart sometimes. Biologists have the right to determine when life begins. So they did this study, and, and I want to show you the breakdown of, of these biologists. 63% of them were non-religious or agnostic. 89% of them were liberal in their politics. Interesting. 85% were pro-choice. Interesting. 95% of them had PhDs. Now watch this, this last one. 96% of them concluded, after looking at all the data, that life begins when the sperm and the egg meet in fertilization. Listen to what the article concluded. Given the size and breadth of the international sample of biologists in the present study, its results represent strong support for the claim that there is now scientific consensus on the view that a human's life begins at fertilization. Did you know that only 38% of Americans believe that life begins at conception? Did you know that? Only 38%. We're the ones that say the biologists are the ones that should determine it. And 96% of them are saying it happens at fertilization. Did you know that? I didn't. So the United States Senate put together a subcommittee and they invited all these uh, doctors to come in and, 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 and basically testify in front of this committee to, to tell them what their perspective was on, on when human life begins. One of those doctors is uh, Dr. Alfred uh, Biagiani. I can't really say his last name. I'll butcher it every time. Um, and he's the professor of uh, pediatrics and, and obstetrics at the University of Pennsylvania. This is what he said, and I quote, direct words to a subcommittee of the United States Senate. I have learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. Human life is present throughout conception or the entire sequence from conception to adulthood. Any interruption at any point throughout this time constitutes a termination of a life. I don't know if you knew this or not today, but there is scientific consensus among biologists and scientists that life begins at conception. Now, if that's true, which I believe it is, and I've just proven it, essentially, we ought to look at the Bible and it ought to support what the science says. Because uh, don't you understand that, that God is the author of science? Anybody? Like, we often think that science and spirituality are two separate things. No! Like, Jesus could teach biochemistry. Why? Because he created it, his subject. Spirituality and science work together perfectly. So we ought to open up this book and we, we ought to find are, are things that are stated that, that actually co uh, uh, cooperate with the science or affirm what the science has already discovered. And that's in factly, exactly what we find. Let me give you an example. Psalm 139. You made me, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together inside my mother's womb. What is the, what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, God was at work forming me and shaping me before I was even born. Did you know that 45 days into a pregnancy, there's a heartbeat? It's about six weeks, seven weeks. Baby has a heartbeat. Amazing. Did you know that 45 days into a pregnancy, that baby has every single major organ present? 
Not fully formed yet, but every single major organ is present at 45 days. At eight weeks, the hands and the feet of a baby are fully formed. At nine weeks, that baby is able to suck its own thumb. Nine weeks in the womb. Look at verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. God was shaping and forming him. Did you know that at 10 weeks, a baby can frown? A baby can swallow? Did you know that at 12 weeks, the baby can move its wrists, wiggle its thumbs, wiggle its toes, bend its feet and legs, and can kick its mother in the side? And, and you ladies, you know, those of you who have been pregnant, you have felt that. All within the first 12 weeks, all within the first trimester. This is a picture of what a 12-year-old baby looks like. This is a, a, digitally, a digital picture. 12 weeks old. After 12 weeks, I didn't know this, but after 12 weeks, not a single thing is added to a baby. It has everything on its body that it needs, and the only thing that happens after 12 weeks is that it just grows and matures and gets stronger. 12 weeks in. Remember what the abortion doctor said? At 17 weeks, I put the forceps in, crushed the skull, pulled it out, as if it was nothing. Just a procedure, just like a colonoscopy. It's incredible what's going on in our world today. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that I never thought I would ever look at through the lens of this issue. But it's so powerful. In Luke chapter 1, Mary was approached by the angel. And the angel said to Mary, hey, you're, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive and Jesus is going to, you know, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And so she hears this news and she says, okay, you know, it's a good plan. Let's work with it. And so she's so excited. And next few days she runs down and she tells her cousin Elizabeth what's going on. And when she gets to Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, I want you to hear what happens. Luke chapter 1. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, who was who? John the Baptist. Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God was at work in this whole situation. John recognized Mary's voice. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit because God's Spirit was upon John the Baptist. He was going to be the forerunner for Jesus. Listen to what Elizabeth says to Mary. Uh, Elizabeth gave a, a glad cry and she exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and watch this, your child is blessed. Mary was only pregnant for a few days. And Elizabeth is calling, who is this? Jesus. Elizabeth is calling Jesus a child after a few days of being pregnant. Is this a human being or not a human? Was Jesus a human being inside of Mary after a few days, yes or no? He's a human being. Listen to what Elizabeth says to Mary next in verse 44. When I heard your greeting, the baby, John, little John, little Johnny, in my womb, jumped for joy. Elizabeth knew that John had joy in his heart over Mary's voice, over Mary's pregnancy. You can't tell me that babies don't know what's going on at some level. Now, after all that being said, 
just looking at the scriptures, looking at biochemistry or uh, biology, how is it that today we're still aborting 1,700 babies a day, 73 million a year worldwide? How, is the, how could that be? Well, here's what pro-choice people have done. They've done a little two-step. They've, they've dropped the argument about when life begins. They're like, they've conceded that. Okay, that's fine. It's a human but here's what that human lacks, and maybe you don't know this. I didn't know this until I started to study for this sermon. That's a human, but it lacks personhood. Have you heard of the personhood theory? Personhood. What is personhood? Well, last week I introduced you to a book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Fantastic book. I encourage everyone to pick this up and read it. It deals with all these difficult issues. Personhood. What is Personhood. Personhood are, is basically when a, a human being has neural activity, can feel pain, achieve a level of cognitive function or consciousness, a level of intelligence, has a sense for the future, is able to have self-awareness, self-control, is able to have a sense of time, a concern for others, is able to communicate, curiosity, neo, uh, and, and, and basically brain, brain function. Here's the problem with, with personhood. When you ask each biochemist what personhood is, they all have a different answer. It's a list of character traits. It's arbitrary. What is personhood? Oh, it's kind of this or that. It's kind of this or that. We believe it's this or that. Well, now our abortion laws are based on personhood theory. Did you hear what happened recently, uh, just the other day in Maryland? Now they're putting, pu- putting forth a bill, basically, that says uh, even after 28 days uh, of the baby being born, the, we still have the option to kill the baby because the baby doesn't have personhood. Personhood. What is personhood? The ability to think, function, think about the future, self-awareness. Well, we don't really know what it is. It's a bunch of these qualities. Listen to what some of the leading proponents of this theory are saying. This is real for today. John Harris Quote, nine months of development leaves the human embryo far short of the emergence of anything that can be called a person. Wow. Nine months in the womb. Not a human. I mean, no, no, no. Yes, a human, not a person. Harris defines a person like this. A creature capable of valuing its own existence. Babies can't do that. Piercy paraphrases this This philosophy by saying this, killing is wrong only in the case of someone who is cognitively developed enough to harbor an explicit consciousness or desire to live. If you can't do that, you're not worthy of life. Quote, John Harris, non-persons or potential persons cannot be wronged in this way because death does not deprive them of anything they can value. So because they can't value their life, they're not worthy of life. These folks have never been present at a birth. I've been present three times. I've seen my kids grasping for air, trying to live. Yes? You've seen this? Listen, listen. Yeah. This is what John Harris said, quote, If they cannot wish to live, they cannot have the wish frustrated by being killed. 
James Watson said this. He's a proponent of, of this uh, theory of, of personhood. He said, advocates waiting, uh, waiting three, he advocates waiting three days after a baby is born before deciding whether it should be allowed to live. Three days. Let's just say it. Let's just sit, let it, let's watch it and see if it can communicate or think or, or, or have any desire to live. Or, and if it doesn't, then we can kill it. Why? It's not a person. Hence, Maryland. Yes? His colleague, Frank Creek, said this, quote, No newborn should be declared human until it has passed certain tests regarding its genetic endowment. And if it fails these tests, it forfeits the right to life. Peter Singer, he's a, he's a gem of a person, this guy Peter. Look him up. He said this, a three-year-old is a gray case. You say, wow, what does that sound like? Well, that's because I've studied some history in 1940s in Nazi Germany. That sounds like the Nazis. Because that's, here's what they did. They looked at all of the, the people that were, I don't know, had Down syndrome or had some other different types of problems, some, some neurological issues, and they looked at them and they said, ah, they really cannot add value. They're really not people. Let's kill them. And that's exactly what the Germans did. And then they also took that same theory and applied it to the Jews and said the Jews were non-humans, and so we have no problem exterminating them in the concentration camps and the gas chambers. That is happening in our culture today. See, I said this last week, and if you don't get anything out of this series, please, please get this. Anytime a culture accepts a certain practice or behavior, they inadvertently and unknowingly accept the philosophy that has allowed that behavior to exist. And what philosophy is that? Personhood theory. Yeah, that's a baby. That's fine. It's just not a person. Therefore, it's not entitled to the rights of any other living person. You can kill it. Man, I don't want to talk about this stuff. But I have to. Because it's wrong. It's wrong. It's sinful. So, if life begins at conception, which biology now affirms their scientific consensus, the Bible teaches it, then some of these other questions are easy to answer. The questions that people throw up, like, oh, I got you, look, this is a, let's work through some of those questions. In light of the fact that life does begin at conception, number one, is it right or wrong? Well, if, if, if it's a baby, is it ever right to kill a baby, an innocent baby? Is it, any, is it ever right to kill an innocent person ever? Yes or no? So that's an easy one. That, that domino falls. Let's look at this next one. What about a woman's right? It's an interesting question. Woman's right, okay? Does a woman have a right to kill an innocent person? Ever. A woman, does a man have a right to kill an innocent person? Ever. What if it's in my body? Well, it's, it's not the question. The question, is it a human? We've already established it's a human, it's a life. Do you ever have the right to kill an innocent child, even if it's inside of you? The obvious answer is wrong. Let's play this out. Let's say, for example, you give birth to the baby, and now the baby's causing you headaches, it cries at night, it, 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 it's sick, it's, it stops you from going to work as much, you got financial problems, and you want to kill it. You say, oh, that's horrific. Well, a few days ago, it was in your belly. 
It's murder now when it, you give birth to it, but it's not murder when it's in your belly. See how, see how crazy we've become? Right now, there are laws in our country. Indiana has them. Uh, fetal homicide laws. Have you heard about these? Essentially, it means that if you're pregnant and I kill the baby inside of you, I go to jail for murder. That's what the laws say. Fetal homicide laws. If that same mother somehow managed to get away from me and I'm trying to kill her baby, but she wiggles past me and she survives and the baby survives, but on the way home she stops in an abortion clinic and pays a doctor to kill the baby, she's innocent. Do you see how warped that is? Our, our, our society is trying to make sense of the fact, is this a human, is it not a human? If it's a human, you can't kill it ever. No one has the right to kill an innocent being, yes or no? Let's look at another one. What about rape or incest? This is the one where, where people really think they got you. Like, whoa, yeah, no, rape, incest, this is to, you got to keep abortion legal because of this. Well, let, let, let me just put a little twist on this or, or, or challenge that. Again, if it's a human being, an innocent human being inside the mother's womb, yes, rape and incest are awful and they're crimes and they should be punished. But why is it that we can now punish an innocent person for the crimes of someone else. In what other scenario do we do that to an innocent person? It's not their fault. Why would we kill that person when the rapist or the person who committed the incest is the one who is at fault? You see how, but here's the thing, if it's not a, if it's not a human, well then you can just take its life. If it doesn't have personhood, well it's rape, it's incest, so you can kill it, you see? But if it's a human, it's protected by the same rights that you and I have. And you can't just kill it because you didn't like the way that baby came into being. Make sense? What about another one? What about my life? What about my life? This is a big one. A lot of women get abortions because, man, I've got my career and I've got this going and I've got, I've got to get my education. And, and, and some women are pressured by their boyfriends or their husband to, to, to abort the baby because it's going to mess his career up. It's going to mess their finances up. And to that, I would say, um, gosh, what do I say to that? You gave up your right to make that decision when you had sex. You need to step up to the plate and be responsible. You cannot commit murder because it's going to mess your life up, your career. We gotta use that word, murder, if it's a human. So what you're saying to me is that it's gonna mess the, the direction of my life up, my career and my finances, this and that, my education, so because of that I need to, I need to commit murder? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If that baby is a human, yes? What about this one? This is, a, this is an I got you one right here. Well, what about development, developmental issues? Like, what if the baby has Down syndrome? And what if the baby has a deformity or, some, or half of a brain? Or Okay, let's talk about that. Is it a human? I mean, there we, we're coming back to the same. Is it a human being? Okay, we've already established it's a human. Okay, it's got Down syndrome. It's got some deformity. But when is it okay to kill someone who is not fully developed? Again, what did they do in Nazi Germany? They killed people based on deformities or brain function or Down syndrome. I mean, there are people right now in England who, when they see the ultrasound and the baby has club foot, they get an abortion. 
Clubfoot is something you could totally fix. Some of you probably had clubfoot when you were born. Imagine your mom like, oh, he's got clubfoot. He's a, you know, let's just take, let's just take it. What do we do in that situation? You do not take the role of God. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who takes life. You do not take it. You give birth to the baby. You work with what you got. You, you try to help. You try to be a blessing. I know, I know a lot of people that have given birth to children who were not fully developed, and that baby became a blessing to them and did things in their life that were absolutely wonderful. Last one. What about the mother's health, the mother's safety? This is a big one. Um, it's really not. If, the, if it's a human, it's a simple one. Uh, again, this all goes back to are we dealing with a human or a non-human? Let me say this. I have done some research on this, and it's extraordinarily rare for an abortion to be necessary in order to save the mother's life. It's like less than 1%. In fact, some doctors say in all my years of, 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 of gynecology, I've never seen a situation where it was either the mother or the baby. Because modern medicine has become so, you know, so advanced, it's extraordinarily rare. They can often do C-sections. They can do all kinds of things to save the mother's life and the baby's life. But let's just play that out for a second. Let's just say there really is a situation where it's the mother's life or the child. Okay? Again, is it a baby? Is it a real human? Yes, we've established that through biology. We've established that through the scriptures. Okay? I've got three kids. I'll just throw myself out there. You put me in a situation where someone says, Danny, you die or he dies. You choose. Let's just go with my daughter. Danny, here's the deal. One of you is going to die. It's you or her. Who do you think is going to die? I, that's not very convincing. <laughs> you think, ah, oh, Ruby, man, she's only 16. I mean, come on, man, she's kind of expendable. I'm important. I'm a pastor of a big church. and blah, 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 I'm a big, you know, big deal. Without hesitation, I die. There's not a situation, there's not a, a scenario where I don't willingly die without even thinking, without even, without even hesitating. It's between me and her, choose me, I'm dead. It's my baby, that's my daughter. And here you have people saying, oh, well, between the, again, if it's not a human, it's not a, okay, well, you know, we just discard it, pull it out, abort it, whatever. But if it's a human, a real person, we, we choose ourselves. Because we're parents, and that's what parents do. We put our children before ourselves. Make sense, yes or no? So, wow, this is tough. I'm sweating. <laughs> what do we do with all this? Well, I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? So, so if you've had an abortion... Here's what I would tell you. There's grace available. There's grace available. It's not the, the sin that sends you to hell. It's not the, it, it, it's, 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 it's a thing that our, our, our world is confused about. There's a lot of misinformation. It's a baby, it's not a baby. Personhood theory, not per It's like you got the, the, the Supreme Court of, of, of the United States of America is telling women it's okay to do this except for the third trimester. I mean, so it's like, I mean, yeah, it's hard to make decisions. 
You get unwanted pregnancy, what do you do? It's very, very challenging. And there's a lot of grace here. In fact, as a church, that's why we partner with a couple of organizations. The first one is called Life Centers. Some of you have heard of it. In fact, my friend Brian Perkins is, uh, is, sits on the, the board of directors for Life Centers. It's an organization in Marion County where women who've had abortions uh, can, can go and, and, and they can enter into a program called SOAR, Spiritually Oriented Abortion Recovery. And it's led by women who have had abortions and they can walk, walk through the trauma and the pain and the guilt and all that stuff. Similar organization that our church supports is CareNet and here in Johnson County. They do very, a lot of the same uh, work with women who've had abortions. And there's another organization down in Seymour, uh, Jackson County, called Clarity. Their website is clarity.org, claritycares.org. They do very, very similar work. And here at our church, we also have a small group called Surrendering the Secret. It actually is a group, small group, uh, for women who have had abortions. And it's actually launching this month, March 29th, I believe. You might check on that. But if you go to eclife.org, um, you, can, you can look that up. And, and if this is something that is, is uh, still a pain point or a sore spot or something that you're working through, I would encourage you to take action. Reach out to one of these organizations. Join that small group. There's grace available. God loves you, and God will forgive you, and he will put the pieces back together. Now, if you are a a woman who's pregnant, you're considering having an abortion, here's what I would say to you. It's not God's will. You have no right to take a life, and it is a life. Hold, Hold on, hold on. There's a different path for you. God loves you and he knows this baby inside of you is is, is forming and he has a plan for that child. And with the support of this church and other people in your life, you can bring that baby to full term. You can get counseling and you can talk to some people here at the church, your family, maybe even keep that baby. But at the very least, offer that baby up for adoption to save his or her life. But abortion is not part of God's plan for you. I promise you, the science supports it and the word of God supports it. You can reach out to CareNet, you can reach out to some of these organizations, Life Centers, and they actually work with women who are considering taking an abortion or having an abortion. And they can work with you through that process. Now, as we wrap up today, this has been a tough one. And it seems like Maybe I'm picking on a certain group, and I'm not. We're just trying to talk about the issue, trying to get it out there. But the reality is, is that all of us need grace. All of us do, every single one of us. None of us have have gotten it all figured out. Maybe you've never had an abortion before, but man, you've blown it in some other ways. I certainly have. And every day I feel like I'm in need of grace, every single day. And that's why Jesus Christ came to this world, to offer broken people grace. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says, for it is by grace that you are saved. What is grace? You ever thought about that? The concept is kind of hard to maybe get your brain wrapped. You know what it is? It's undeserved favor. It's unmerited, unearned favor from God. He just simply brings grace and he gives it to people who are broken and need it. 
we are saved by grace through faith. Reaching out to God, saying, God, I believe in you and I trust you. Please send your grace my way. It is not from you, it is a gift from God. And every single one of us need that. We are all broken people. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Three days later, he rose again to impart grace to you, to put you and the Father back into a relationship so that you could be his son or his daughter. And that's what this church is all about. We are in a relentless pursuit to see people who are far from God come into a relationship with him, to come to Christ and to grow in Christ. And you need God's grace to do that. If you would like to reach out today in faith and trust Christ, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer a child can say. It's a, it's a prayer a child can pray. You take it, make these words your own. Reach out to God right now and ask him to be your savior. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Let's say this to him. Dear Jesus, I need your grace. I've blown it in so many ways. But that's why you came. You came to forgive me Cleanse me, restore me, and put the pieces back together. I believe in you. I trust in you. That you died for me on the cross to pay for my sin, and you came back to life to make me your child. So I reach out to you today in faith, and I ask you to be my Savior. I receive your grace. From this day forward, teach me to love you and to follow you, to honor you, and to seek your will in all that I do. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to get you started with uh, what we call our saved box. It's sort of a starter kit inside this box. There's a Bible with a reading plan. There's instructions on how to get connected to the church, small group, baptism, and also a coffee cup in here to say congratulations. So if you text the word SAVED to 65248, you can grab one of these at your campus at the information desk. Or if you're watching online, you can give us a little bit more information and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. I'm gonna pray for us right now and then dismiss to our local teams. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity, the space, the time to talk about this. I know this is hard, but I know it hurts your heart. I know it grieves your heart to see innocent babies killed. And so God, help us to get this right, even if it's just at the personal level. We can't change the Supreme Court. We can't change what the states are doing, but we can certainly change what we're doing. So help us not to look to ourselves for insider wisdom and do what's right in our own eyes. Help us to seek what you think on these issues and then live accordingly. May we honor you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. Love you guys. See you next week.